in the first chapter of the Gospel of John. The Word was God, the Word was with God. And then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And because of the Word, reveal then everything that we need to know about God. The Word explained God. So it's through Jesus that we understand who God is and what God is like. God is Christ-like, and in him there is no unchristlikeness at all. Jesus is the real deal. I understand that when people are trained to detect counterfeit money, their first, the first step in their training is to study genuine currency to study the real thing, and then by contrast, they'll notice the counterfeit. And in a way, that's exactly what we need to do with Jesus. We need to study Jesus. We need to learn Jesus. We need to focus on Jesus because then, by contrast, we'll notice any other false god that might be creeping into our life. And the wonderful thing is that Jesus actually invites us into this journey in Mark 8, you have a Bible, you can turn there. I think you can look at the screen. This, this passage is the pivotal point in the gospel. At this point, Jesus turns toward Jerusalem, toward the cross, toward, toward the destiny for which he came. He had been healing, teaching, experiencing popularity and resistance. Most of all, he'd been experiencing confusion on the part of his disciples. They couldn't quite figure out who is this guy? I mean, at one point, he's turning water to wine. Next, next thing you know, he's throwing the people out of the temple. He's stealing storms. He's walking on water. Then he's hanging out with prostitutes and sinners. Who is this guy? They, 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 they weren't getting it. So Jesus, just as he did the blind man, in the passage immediately before the one we're looking at, he took, Jesus took the blind man by the hand to heal him. And this is what Jesus now is going to do with the disciples. He's going to take them by the hand and help them see and understand who he is. And help us see and understand who he is. Because it's the most important thing he can do. So the passage begins, Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. Right there, it's fascinating because Caesarea Philippi is on the northern edge of Israel. And in Caesarea Philippi, there were three major temples. A temple to the Syrian god Baal, a temple to the Greek god Pan, and a temple to the Roman god of Caesar's. Uh, Godhead. So three temples. And in the shadow of these temples, Jesus asked his question. Who do people say that I am? I don't think it's by accident that the location of that question was in Caesarea Philippi where these temples were. Because Jesus was I think, very intentionally 
entering into the fray of world religions, entering into the competition and the comparison, and willingly inviting people to compare him to any other competing system. He's still doing that today. In Denver in the 21st century, we may not have temples built explicitly to other gods, but we have our own temples, don't we? We have skyscrapers dedicated to making money. We have universities dedicated to the worship of the mind. We have sports stadiums dedicated to the worship of the body. So we have our own gods in this culture. And Jesus is willing to enter into competition with those gods just as well. Or the gods of secularism or naturalism. Any competing system, Jesus is happily willing to engage and be tested. Who do people say that I am? The disciples respond. Well, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say one of the prophets. So basically... They said, everybody's saying you're a prophet. Well, that was kind of a big deal. There hadn't been a prophet in Israel for 500 years. So if Jesus was a prophet, I mean, that was, that was headline news. That was significant. But that, of course, was not Jesus' identity. And then he turns it. He starts with the easy question, right? Who do your friends say that I am? You know, who do people say that I am? And now he drills down deeper. And in fact, in the Greek text, the first word in the Greek text is you. It's like it just, okay, what about you? Who do you say that I am? He'd heard what everyone else was saying. And a sensitive teacher and leader wants to know. You know, they want to know what... How am I coming across? My wife will tell me this afternoon how I came across this morning. In fact, when my son was at seminary, and I teach at Denver Seminary, my son was a student there. He didn't have me for, in a class, but he was like a mole for me. You know, he would just hear conversations about different professors, and sometimes it was, he'd hear something about me, and he would let me know, you know, what people were saying about me. It was kind of nice to know the inside story. Well, that's what Jesus was asking for. What are people, what are people saying about me? But more importantly, he wanted to know, what do you say about me? Who do you say that I am? And I, I don't know that Jesus was necessarily looking for information here. I think he had a pretty good read on the disciples. He knew they were confused just like he knows probably that areas in life where we're confused. But what he desired and what he wanted was for the disciples to open their hearts to him and give him access, to share with him who they say he is. And that's what he wants from us. He wants us to simply open our hearts, and give him access to our deepest thoughts, our deepest questions, 
our deepest longings, our hopes, our dreams. To tell him, God, you're, I don't know that you're who I think you are. I don't know that I, you are who I want you to be. I don't know that you are who I need you to be. He wants us to open our hearts and give him access. So Peter, really speaking for the other disciples, because the question went to all of the disciples. And Peter says, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. Christos. The anointed one. Which really meant the king. So at least at some level, the disciples, they had gotten it. You're it. You're the king. You know who the king was in the Old Testament? The king was Yahweh. So the disciples were saying, you're God in human flesh. You're the son of God. You're the king. You're the ruler. Which, at a level, is really what everybody was hoping for and wanting. They wanted the king to kick out the Romans, to establish Israel back as its own nation. Because of that, Jesus said, slow down, don't tell anyone about this. This is between us right now. And then he began to tell them, to teach them. He started with questions, and now he moves to teaching. Because this is really the part that it was hard for them to understand. They could actually grasp that he was king. Just like often we can. We sort of expect just the name God. That, okay, yeah, God is the man upstairs. God is in charge. God is sovereign, whatever that means. God rules. So, but what does that really mean for us? If God rules, if God is sovereign, and life is kicking me in the butt and has me by the throat, how is God ruler in my life? How is that helpful to me? As Bruce said, it's not helpful to me. And so Jesus begins to teach more about who God is. He says, then he began to teach them. He began to te- this is new information that Jesus is starting to give the disciples. They, they've moved from 101, now they're in 102. They, they're, they're, they've graduated. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering. And be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed. And after three days, rise again. He said all this quite openly. Wait a minute. We want a king. We want a king that rules. We want a king that will save us from our suffering. We don't want a suffering savior. And yet that's what Jesus was beginning to teach them. That the God that we have, the God that reveals himself in Jesus, 
It's a God that's king who ultimately will reign, will right every wrong, will wipe every tear from every eye, will feed every hungry person. Yes, we have God as king, but we also have a God who suffers with us and for us. We have a God who took on skin and flesh and bone, became one of us who suffered with us, who understands what we are going through. We also have that kind of a God. And I, I think for many of us, just as it was for the disciples, that's the part of the image of God that gets challenging to embrace and to become part of our experience. Because life experience can be so devastating, so difficult, so challenging. Why? Well, because there's another program running. There's God's program, but as Peter discovered, there's another program. And Jesus points this out as he rebukes Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan, for you're setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. There's one who has come to steal and kill and destroy. And Peter found himself on that side of the one Jesus calls Satan. So Satan has a program running. Jesus and the kingdom of God have a program running. It's one side or the other, Jesus seems to be saying. You either understand me as a suffering king or, or not. There's Christ and there's Antichrist. There's not many gray Criolas in this box. It's, it's, it's one or the other. And Jesus says it's necessary that the Son of Man should suffer. Why would it be necessary? It was necessary to undo all the previous and all the future suffering and death. Jesus, as God in the flesh, suffered and died to undo death and suffering. To make it possible for us to live a life of shalom here and forever, now and forever. Like Peter, our image of God can be wrong we can, or incomplete. An incomplete knowledge of God leads us to wrong thoughts of God. And wrong thoughts of God lead us to a wrong direction in life and a wrong view of ourselves. Jesus reveals himself as almighty but also all vulnerable. He's the king. He's the king that suffered and died and rose again. So what do we do? How do we fill our minds and hearts with a proper image of God? 
simply by focusing on Jesus. Focusing on Jesus can heal our distorted, our wounded image of God. As I meet with people, I hear all kinds of interesting images of God. One fellow talked about having a dad who sat in the stands and either cheered him on or criticized him. And when he started following Christ, that was the image he put onto God or the image that God had for him. And so what did he do? He performed. He tried to get the praise and the compliments and the affirmation from God. Or we can think of God as this stern judge that's just waiting for us to do something wrong to punish us. Or we can think of God as aloof, just distant. He wound up the world and let it go, and at some point it'll, it'll stop. But until then, God is not very involved. But focusing on Jesus can correct and heal all of those images. Because when we look at Jesus, we see a God that's not aloof, right? We see a God that sticks his fingers in people's ears and puts mud on his hand and puts them on his eyes and touches lepers and eats and drinks with people and loves them and whose, guts are, whose gut is wrenched with compassion when he sees people suffer and his gut is wrenched when he sees us suffer. To focus on Jesus as the image of God. And that will deepen, expand, purify, and heal our image of God. For me, I started out with an image of God as master when I first became a Christian. And so I was servant. God was master. I worked really hard. If I wanted to know God better, I would just work harder. If I wanted to love God more, I'd just work harder. For about 20 years, and then I was pretty tired and lifeless and dried out. And then by God's grace, I heard the words of Jesus from John 15. I no longer call you servant. I call you friend. And it changed everything. And I'm inviting you to consider maybe your current image of God needs a little work, needs a little healing. And maybe you can hear Jesus speaking into your heart, your mind, in such a way that it might transform your life because it transforms your image of God. We all need it. God is incomprehensible. So we're on a journey that will never end. We have all eternity to get to know who, who God is and what he's really like. We all have so far to go. But we can be on the journey and take some really good steps right now. And I hope in the next three weeks that I'm with you that that can happen. 
that you'll see that God is bigger than we can imagine, that he's better than we could dream, and he's closer than we can think. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we're so thankful that you have revealed yourself to us in the person of Jesus. Lord, we all come with baggage, baggage from our families of origin, baggage from our early church experiences, baggage from life experience that causes us to create wrong, incorrect, incomplete images of you. So Lord, we ask you to give us grace, to give us the intention, to give us the desire to focus on Jesus, to look at him in the Gospels, to allow him to change our understanding and image of who you really are. And Lord, that as a result our lives would be transformed into people who are more and more like you. That incredible, strong, loving, good, just, kind and compassionate God. Lord, thank you that you welcome our questions and you welcome our struggle and that you meet us right there because you are our friend. In Jesus' name.